The following is a paid advertisement of St. Anthony Hospital Orthopedics. References to any specific product, services, or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by St. Anthony Hospital, Carroll Broadcasting, or its advertisers. The views expressed by the host or guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Welcome to the St. Anthony Hospital Orthopedic Show with Dr. Richard Godding. Dr. Godding specializes in joint preservation, reconstruction, and replacement surgery, and brings over 25 years of orthopedic excellence to St. Anthony Hospital and to the Carroll area. For more information about Dr. Godding, his practice, or St. Anthony Orthopedics, go to stanthonyhospital.org or make an appointment by calling 712-794-5536. Good Sunday morning, Iowa. This is Dr. Rick Godding. Thanks so much for spending some of your time here with me. It is the intersection of sports. So we have football tapering off and we have basketball started and uh, wrestling getting going. University of Iowa is fielding their first women's wrestling team this year. I, I watched the first duel. Now, University of Iowa is the first Power 5 D1 school to offer wrestling at a collegiate level for women. There's a bunch of smaller schools, but Iowa is the first one. That's pretty exciting. I watched the first duel, and <laughs> wow. It was technical fall, technical fall, technical fall, pin, technical fall, technical fall. I think mean, it's 45 to 1. I don't even know how they scored the one point because they didn't. I, I don't know. But just utter domination, and it's it's exciting, and I think it's going to push, it's going to push other schools. That's how it happens, you know. Iowa gets in there, and well, you know, Iowa State's going to have to do it, and then of course Penn State and Michigan are going to look down and say, you know, Iowa's got their women wrestling. We better get going. So it's so exciting, and uh, man, these these women, they know what they're doing. It's a great sport. I wrestled in high school. I actually. I'm going to give a little personal information about my daughter. Nobody in my daughter's life right now listens to the show. They used to have a couple of her teachers that listened uh, when she was going to school out here in Carroll, but nobody in Des Moines listens to the show that is in her life. So we'll tell you, I took her to her first wrestling practice the other day. She is 12 in eighth grade, and she said she enjoyed it, and I'm trying so hard not to pressure her, but I know <laughs> I, know I am because it just... It meant so much to me when I wrestled. Now, I was in Oklahoma, which is just like Iowa, like Wrestling Central. I would say, without a doubt, the top two states in America for wrestling is Oklahoma and Iowa. I started the end of my freshman year and wrestled sophomore, junior, and senior year, and I was very happy to get to place in regionals and go to the state final and get technical followed by a three-time state champ in the first round. And I was happy with that because, you know, because those guys have been wrestling since they were four, and I was, and I started when I was sixteen. Well, there's not that many girls out there that have been wrestling since they were four, so the opportunity for girls to start wrestling at any age now and really get good. I'm not talking about are they going to go wrestle in college, but just have a nice, good, solid high school career. It's a huge opportunity because there's not this. If you were in Iowa or Oklahoma and you're a boy and you start wrestling in high school, I mean, you're probably 
it's going to be tough because there's just so many kids that have been doing it for so long and it's, it's such a technical skill. I mean, there's toughness and there's conditioning and there's strength, but so much of it is just technical skill. And if you've been shooting single leg takedowns since you were four or six, it's going to be hard, you know, for somebody to come in late and get that good. So it's a tremendous opportunity for these girls. I hope my daughter sticks with it. I hope I'm not too... The reason I'm so pro wrestling is because it there's nothing in the world to me at least in the in, in the high school sports level i mean there's mma and things like that out in the pros but and boxing and i guess there's jujitsu and things like that that would be the closest i think but you just you go out there and you're going to find that if you wrestle 30 kids some of them are going to be right about your talent level you know, if you wrestle a year and you wrestle 30, 40 kids, some of them are going to be right about your talent level. And you're going to go out there and you, you're going to win and you're going to say, yeah, I, I earned that. I, I worked harder. Or you're going to lose and you're going to say, well, okay, was that kid better than me? Or was that kid better than me? Cause I didn't stay after practice and shoot takedowns for an extra half hour. I didn't hit the gym. I didn't run far enough. I wasn't, did did that kid out condition me? And so you have a lot of self-reflection when you lose. And so, so I really think that, uh, that wrestling is just the greatest sport because, you know, some of the other ones that I really think are great for kids cross country because it's just so mental. I mean, you got to get out there and any distance like, and like, uh, in track, like the 1600, that's a real mental one. And when I say mental, I mean, at some point, the physical advantages that some people have over others are overcome by the mental toughness. And that's, that's the kind of sports I like. So yeah, and speaking of, so like I said, it's the, it's the crossroads right now of uh, football, wrestling, and uh, basketball season. And of course, Caitlin Clark, Still lighting it up, selling out. Uh, yeah, I love it. There'll be the visitor at another campus who typically are getting three or four thousand for their women's games, and they're going to get ten because Caitlin Clark shows up. I just love it. It's, she's so exciting, and uh, and football, and of course, bowl season. You know, my Oklahoma State Cowboys are going to be in the whatever. I don't even know Pop Tarts Bowl. I don't even think it's that. Oh, it's the Tax Act. Texas Bowl against Texas A&M. That's what it is. So, you know, no, no big stuff there. We're just hoping Ollie Gordon, our running back, doesn't transfer. But I read a proposal that the NCAA has made. And the NCAA has proposed allowing schools to directly compensate the kids for playing. And what that does is that means that the way they're going to set it up is if you're going to go this route, you're going to have a specific designation and you're going to have to pay half of your athletes and 50% have to be men and 50% have to be women. So you're going to have to pay, if you pay the football team and all the athletes are going to get a minimum of $30,000. So you're going to pay the, the whole football team minimal, minimum of 30000 then you're going to have to pay whatever it is to get half your athletes there. So you're going to be, so the field and the women's field hockey team is going to make 30,000 a year. And then the school is going to be able to directly pay their own people. And so the, 
or their own athletes. And so the problem I see with this, I mean, you're already developing a two-tier system, right? So there's basically the SEC and the Big Ten, and then there's going to be everyone else. But if you look at athletic revenue by school, there's a huge difference between like an Alabama and even an Iowa. Alabama is going to make 190 or so thousand dollars uh, a year. And uh, Iowa's going to make the Iowa Hawkeyes did crack the top 25 with 151 million. So that's, that's pretty exciting for Iowa. But what it does though, is it says, all right, if you're not in that top 25, so, and even in that top 25, it's going to be tough. You know, it's just going to be tough to get the, uh, the level of finances available that you're going to have to have to really compete. And I don't know. I just think that it's, you're basically now pretty well saying not only are you just going to have a pro football team that plays for the school, that that's going to then trickle out to all the other sports too. And I mean, I get that. I get that there's a lot of money being made and that the athletes aren't making any. And I get that a lot of the athletes are from disadvantaged backgrounds. I I get all of it, but it's just, you're basically going to have these elite athletic programs and then you're going to have everybody else. And, uh, I don't know, I guess that's just the way the world's going, but I, I'm not sure it's the best thing. I also don't, I don't know. It's one thing about giving a 18 year old kid two or $3 million a year while they're in college. I, <laughs> that could run into some trouble, but anyway, that's what's going on. So I just thought I'd mention it, but I do love this time of year cause I do love all the sports and, uh, yeah. So again, uh, this week I had another knee. I know I've been talking about this the last few weeks, but we, we did get that new operating system software for the Mako robot. And so it just happened that that coincided with some of the worst knees that I've seen in a while. And I had another knee that was bent, what you would consider knock kneed 15 degrees. And these are really, really challenging knees without the Mako. And with the Mako, I mean, there's still a challenge. You still really got to think through it. But once you think through it on the screen, so you're basically tension the ligaments. And like I said, the computer tells us where to park the robot on the floor. Like there's, as you're moving the robot, what you see up on the screen is a green rectangle on the floor and you got to get the robot. I don't do it. The person who runs the robot does and they park it right in there and then it dings and that's where you are and you stop the robot and you put it there. It tells you what height to put the table at. So before I start actually doing the surgery, it says, okay, now we need to raise the table six inches. And then when I do the ligamentous tensioning, I do it with the knee bent. And again, there, it won't let me get the numbers until the knee is bent sufficiently to unload the posterior capsule, the capsule behind the knee, so that we're really getting the tension on the inside and outside ligaments isolated. So then we get those tensions. I tension them and see that's where the art of it is still there. There's still some art. So I tension it how much I think is the appropriate amount of tension. And I, you know, I've been doing it a long time. I think I know what the appropriate amount of tension is. 
So I get that appropriate amount of tension and then we lock that number in to the robot and do that on the inside of the knee and the outside of the knee. And then we take mm, somewhere between three and five minutes and start moving on the computer screen. We have a 3D visual because we've taken a 3D CT scan. So we have a 3D visual of the end of the bone and where the actual prosthesis is going to sit and what it's actually doing to the tension of the ligaments that we've already registered. And so we can move everything, like I said, to one millimeter, to one degree until we get it right where we want it. And I just, before I came over here, saw this woman in my office who I had talked about last week who had the 15 degree valgus knee and her knees perfectly straight. She's doing very well. She's super happy. She's bending past 90 degrees and it's just, man, it's just unbelievable how, how good this thing is, especially with the new software. And, um, and you know, of course, you know, we have our pain protocol that I've talked about. And, uh, I think if you've listened to the show before, you heard me talk about this, this pain protocol that we're involved in. It's a pain protocol that I developed and we've added a few things to it. And now we're working to reduce the amount of opioids. We've joined this consortium, if you will, of hospitals that are in this program. And my patients have done the best of the 15 hospitals in the program with respect to having the fewest, the lowest need of opioid pills after the knee replacement. And, uh, you know, many of my patients only, well, so the numbers were 13% of my patients don't take any opioids. 45% of my patients take 10 or fewer once they leave the hospital. And only about 3% of my patients are getting renewals on their opioids. And I'm only giving 30 or 40. Sorry, I'm about to drop to 30. So the, the pain control, uh, which, you know, again, starts before a couple weeks before the surgery with the freezing of the nerves with the liquid nitrogen. I'm going to probably in the not too distant future, maybe right after the first of the year, go through the whole pain control protocol again. But that's like a whole show in and of itself because it's so detailed. But, you know, the long and the short of it is we freeze the nerves before before the operation. Uh, we have multiple medications, some oral, some topical uh, that you rub on the skin. Uh, we do blocks before and during and after the surgery with uh, nerve blocks and all of these other things that lead up to it. But, uh, but it's just to see the level of advancement and to see it keep going is just super fun. Now we know we've talked about the Regenitin implant. There is a new product. Now the Regenitin implant is the implant that I've been using for shoulders. It's the one I had on my shoulder. It is a bioinductive implant, so it doesn't have any strength to it. And it's made of treated cow Achilles tendon. There is a new product coming out, and I am scheduled to be on a phone call with the designers. It's just been released. The company wanted me to do it because it's the same company that makes the shoulder resurfacing that I use. And I'm you know, nationally one of their higher volume people, and I've been doing it for a very long time. And they know that I use a lot of Regenitin. And so we are looking to start this. And what it is is it's a mesh that's made of a couple different materials and it would be for the same indication in the shoulder 
it would be for a partial rotator cuff tear or for a rotator cuff tear that's very torn and needs some reinforcement on top of the regular repair that you would do. Only this mesh actually has a physical characteristic to it. So it actually increases the structural integrity of the repair as opposed to the regenitin just sits on there and heals and thickens up the cuff. And again, like I said, I've been super happy with my regenitin. Uh, it changed my life. I've had a couple of patients where it didn't really work uh, for partial thickness tears, but most of the patients that I've used it for, when I say it didn't work, they just didn't get a lot better. And a couple of them I had to go back in and actually do the formal repair. But 90% of the patients do way better with just the regenitin like I did. So now this new product is a mesh and it's made of a couple things. One is a hydroxyapatite and the other is an absorbable suture. So it's a suture mess mesh that's made of, of materials that confer not just strength, but also that bioinductive characteristic. So there's a, a few surgeons in the country that are being offered this earlier. And so I'm, I'm looking at the research on it. I'm talking to the designing surgeons and I will let you know when that goes live. I'm just, you know, I'm very careful with these. I want to make sure they've been using them in Europe for a long time. I want to look at all the data. It just recently got FDA approval. Um, so that's really exciting because it would be sort of the next advancement, right? So the first one didn't have any structural integrity and it only thickened things up. This one will have structural integrity. So that would be even more helpful. And, uh, so I'm just excited about all those things. And so we're barreling towards Christmas. Uh, this is the first year that I haven't done, um, the advent calendar with my daughters. I, I just, I kind of missed it. It kind of snuck up on me and then I'm like, well, I just don't know that they're going to get as excited about it this year. You know, at 14 and 12, we used to read the little, so our calendar has the story of Christmas on each one of them. You open up and you read it and then you hang the, hang it. But maybe, maybe Sunday I'll, uh, maybe Sunday night we'll get it going and, uh, uh, started up again this year. I, I think we only have three weeks left, but it kind of snuck up on me this year. But I am super excited, uh, as you all who have listened for a long time know. I do love Christmas and Easter. That's to me what it's all about, and uh, and I hope that uh, everyone is is having a joyous early holiday season. Don't stress about the gifts. That's not what it's all about. It's all about feeling and being blessed and and sharing that with other people. So. So I am going to catch you next week and uh, we'll chat about some other things and you have a blessed week, Iowa. This has been the St. Anthony Hospital Orthopedic Show with Dr. Richard Godding. For more information about Dr. Godding, his practice, or St. Anthony Hospital Orthopedics, go to www.stanthonyhospital.org or make an appointment by calling 712-794-5536.